Let's look to the Lord for a word of prayer before we actually open his word. Most gracious and kind Father, we come before thee at this time to hear from thy word. Lord, I don't have words to adequately express to these people the wonders that you've shown that are contained in the passages we'll look at. Father, stoop down and help me to be able to speak your truth, to speak it aright, for the comfort and the encouragement of your saints that are gathered here at this time. Lord, you are the God of truth. You don't owe it to us, but in your mercy and your kindness, you revealed yourself to us. Help us to see that this day, Lord, and help us to see how that should affect our lives. Glorify yourself, Father. We ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. As I said in the introduction, that was Jacob. That was Jacob, a man blessed by God from a godly heritage. Yet, brethren, we have much more to be thankful for this day. We know so much more of the truth than Jacob ever thought to know about. Did Jacob know about a Messiah coming to deliver him? Well, maybe very darkly. He knew that there was a seed coming from the woman who would bruise the serpent's heel. He knew that because Father Adam had passed that on down, hadn't he? He knew that much truth. But think about all of the tabernacle worship. Think about all of the revelation of God that was given to Moses. Jacob was ignorant of that. He didn't have that. Come on down to the time of David and all the Psalms that David had that he shared with the congregation of Israel. Jacob didn't have that. Come on down further. Solomon, the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, all the wisdom God gave that man. Jacob never heard that. He was totally ignorant of that. And think about all the prophets who came along before then and after then, pointing to the Messiah coming, pointing to the sins of God's people and how they can repent of them and have fellowship with God. Jacob knew nothing of that. And that's just the Old Testament, brethren. What about the New Testament? The fulfillment of it all. Jesus Christ was just a dark, shadowy picture to them. We know him by name. We've seen his ministry. We've seen the kindness and the love of God towards man. Look at all the miracles he performed. Look at all the great things that were done in the ministry of Jesus Christ just over a three and a half year period. John said that if all the things he'd done were written, the books of the world couldn't contain it. A little bit of hyperbole there, right, brethren? But the point being, there are so many great things that Jesus Christ did. And 
we only have a small tithe, as our brother Jonathan would like to say, of them in the, in the New Testament. I hope you're seeing the picture, brethren. I'm trying to build it up for you. We have so much more. We have so much of the truth now. If Jacob could say, Lord, I'm not worthy of the truth you've shown me. Where are we? Where are we compared to what Jacob had? We have so much more brethren. Because not only do we have the ministry of Jesus Christ, who was his ministry primarily to? Who did he tell his disciples to go after? Jews. Jesus Christ was primarily the apostle to the Jews. But then we have all the epistles of Paul, the specially chosen man that God sent to us Gentiles. I mean, he makes it plain and understanding for it. For us, right? I mean, just in case we didn't understand, you know, God prepared a man called Luke, a Gentile physician, convert, who went with the Apostle Paul, who wrote an entire gospel for our sake, so that for us Gentiles who wouldn't have understood probably, you know, the reference over in uh, Matthew 24 about him who reads Daniel, let him understand the desolation of, you know, abomination. Oh, God says, don't worry, Gentiles, that's armies of Rome surrounding Jerusalem. That's how Luke wrote it. For us. Brethren, that's truth to us personally. Do you understand that? Does that grip your heart? You know, I am thankful for a broken collarbone. Because I have had a number of weeks where by doctor's orders, I couldn't do a thing. I was even forbidden to go back to work. Okay, even though the doctor had said so, he didn't put it in properly the way he sent it in. So HR said, no, you can't answer the phone. You can't do squat. You stay home until your time is up. And the doctor lets you come in. And brethren, it has been a wonderful time of being able to sit down and go over Scripture, listen to sermons, and come and just be filled with this, this subject. I am so excited about it. I'm afraid because I, it's so beautiful. And I don't know how to communicate it all to you, okay? I can't just put a, you know, a science, like in a science fiction movie, I can't just put a thing on my head and some wires and plug it up to your head and, you know, you get the same thing I've got. But hopefully the Lord, who is better than me, a lot better than me, hopefully He can help you to get a hold of this as we go through it today. I'm going to go over some things we already know. As I put in my Preparation last night. Those of you that were bold and actually went out and looked at two outlines, those were just a tithe of the amount of material that our brother, the Lord, has shown him over time about this subject. But those were two in particular that grabbed my heart that I've been going over and thinking about. And to set the stage for you, those of us who already know this, I am not trying to prove it to us today. Okay? Don't look at the things that I'm, you know, you will look at the, the verses I bring out and you'll say, well, no, you could have used this passage. You could use that passage. Great. I, if you've got that and you can think about that, that's wonderful. If you want to go back at the outlines and look at all the verses I missed and passed over, wonderful. That's great. You ought to do that. But what I want us to look at, what I want us to grab a hold of, is the great blessing we have. The tenderness, the kindness, the goodness of God to show us His truth. It's personal, brethren. Right. 
It's personal. You've already seen, because those of you who read the thoughts I send out each day, I've already been talking about this and those. I had a, a, a brother who's not a member of this congregation who wrote back to me after one of them saying, Brother Newell, I appreciate your thoughts, but I have just a little, just a little thing I want to bring up with you. And that is, isn't the scripture where we find all truth? Isn't that where we go to find truth? I said, very good. Exactly. I have no disagreements with you, brother. The scriptures do contain the purest nuggets of truth you want to find. But you know what? If God does not open up your eyes to see it, it doesn't matter. Truth comes by revelation, brethren. And I'm talking about to God's blood-washed, born-again, purchased, adopted sons. To us, God's truth will not be of impact in our lives unless he's opened up our eyes, Newell Eastland's eyes, to see it. Truth, we know, is a privilege. It's not a right. It's not something we deserve. Think about What did our father Adam have in the Garden of Eden? Genesis chapter 2, 16, 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. We look at that and see, oh, commandment. Oh, that's requirements. No, no. That's revelation. That's God talking to his child. And revealing something to him. It's direct. God commanded the man saying. I mean it's not generic. God looked Adam in the eye. And said Adam. I've got something for you. There's a tree in this garden. Yeah it's part of the trees you're supposed to tend. But don't you eat of it. It was personal. Thou mayest freely eat. God personally revealed to Adam man's life from the beginning in a sinless state was based on God's revelation. Have you ever thought about that? Even in a sinless state, God was revealing to man. God was communicating directly, personally to Adam and to Eve. We all know what happened, though. What did God, what did, what did man choose? And brethren, what kind of man was he? He was a perfect man. He didn't have the problems that we have of sin in our life. He doesn't have, he didn't have that propensity to want to do what's wrong. He wasn't bent and twisted and perverted. He was perfect. He was pure. What did he do? Genesis 3, 1 through, well, Genesis 3, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And if we were to read on, we'd see where all the blame games come up, come about. It's from sin. Because what happens? God's coming to meet Adam. 
in the cool of the evening, in the cool of the day, God's walking in the, in the garden to find Adam to talk to. And brethren, you need to read these things. You need to read scripture intelligently. Adam, where are you? Did God not know where Adam was? Come on, give me a break. He knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly what he'd done. Why did God do that? I think God was trying to give us a lesson. He was trying to teach us something. That God wanted fellowship with man. It was man that ruined it. It wasn't God. God's no green meanie in heaven. He's a glorious good being. We're the ones who brought sin in this world. We're the ones who messed it up. Adam, what are you doing? I'm hiding here in the bushes, God. Why are you hiding? I'm afraid. I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree I told you not to eat of? The woman, she she gave it to me. Eve, what did you do? The devil, he deceived me. That's where the blame game starts, brethren. It's sin. And ladies, it's not your fault. Because 1 Timothy 2.14, Paul tells us, And Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Ladies, you were deceived. That's why in a godly economy, you need a good godly man to help you out. Because you have a weakness that the man does not have when it comes to spiritual matters. All the blame comes on Adam. He willingly knew what he was doing, and he chose it anyway. So right there, our right to truth was forfeited. It just went out the window. If God at that point had just said, fine, I'm going to wipe out the human race and start all over again with something else. He could have done it. And he'd have been perfectly righteous and holy in doing it. For his own glory and honor, he didn't. He went ahead with the race. He had plans. He knew this was coming out from the very beginning. But we know God doesn't owe us truth. We took the truth he gave us and spat on it and threw it back in his face. And now where are we? Ephesians chapter 2. Turn there for a second. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. I want you to see some of these passages. Where is man now? What does man like? What is man's nature? Nature meaning what do we normally go to? Where do we gravitate to? What do we want? (laughs) Amen. We want lies. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's talking to those in in Ephesus who are believers, who have been predestinated, who have been born again. But he's talking about their past, before all that occurred. Wherein, verse 2, in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? That's Satan, the devil. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And Paul says, among whom we all had our conversation, that's our lifestyle, in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. We were the devil's disciples, willingly 
joyfully following whatever he wanted us to do. By nature then, what, where does that leave us? We've studied Romans chapter 3 already, right? The whole list of things that both Jews and Gentiles are guilty of. What does verse 11 of chapter 3 tells us? There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. And you know, you've got to be careful when you read in Scripture to see, you know, universal terms are used universally and absolutely are they used, you know, narrowly. Well, in that passage, if you consider Jews and Gentiles, that's a universal use. Everybody. No man naturally understands God or seeks for his truth. A very telling passage. Turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Starting at verse 41. The Lord Jesus Christ has been talking, teaching the people. And in the midst of that, he tells them that, a verse we'll look at in a few minutes, that, you know, if you, <clears throat> talks about the, if you know the Son, the Son will make you free. You know, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He said that to those Jews who believed on him, just a few verses before that. It took me a while to get the verse. I'm over 50, so bear with me. But then right away, some of the Jews that are in his audience say, Oh, what do you mean? We'll be made free. We're not in bondage to any man. Yeah, right. You had Roman centurions guarding, you know, with, 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 uh, Roman troops guarding the city and going over everywhere and getting tribute from you. Yeah, you're free. Right. The pride. The pride of man is just unbelievable. And the Jews of that generation are just emblematic of what we would all be like, but for God's grace. Jesus goes on, verse 41, and says, Well, ye do the works of your father. Then said they unto him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? See, he was speaking the same language they were speaking. They could hear his words. You can tell by the debates going on, they understood the impact of them. Well, in some senses they understood them, but in other senses they were just totally blind. They couldn't understand what he was saying. Even because you cannot hear my word. Wait a minute now, did, did, couldn't they hear? You know, the, the, the little hammer in the ear there, it was working fine in their ears. He's talking about comprehension, spiritual comprehension. Verse 44, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. Hold on and read the next verse. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Brethren, what does that mean? It means that somebody who's not born again or someone whom God has not opened their eyes to see the truth 
the only thing they will believe is a lie. That's all they'll believe. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. And that's our background, brethren. That's where we came from. This is man's condition by his own choice. He rejects God's truth and he wants lies. That's all the nature he's got. It's all he can accept. How do we get truth then? Where does truth come from? Truth comes by revelation. Now, I know you're going to say, oh yes, God's revealed himself in scripture. I'm talking about before that. I'm talking about before that. How, have you ever done any study? Have you ever looked at the variety of grains that man has? You know, you've got all sorts of spices. You've got wheat. You've got corn. You've got rye. You've got barley. All of those are different one from the other in the environment that they need to grow and to reach full fruition. How you process them is different. How many of you have ever watched one of these things on the Nature Channel or something that talk about coffee or chocolate? You know, Hershey bars don't just grow on trees. And the stuff that does grow on trees is so very different from the end product of the Hershey bar. It's amazing. I mean, it's a white pulpy stuff that comes out that has to be processed. It has to, you have to bring the seeds out, then you gotta dry them, then you gotta cook them at the right way, then you gotta pulverize them, and out of that comes cocoa. Same thing with coffee. Ah, some Ethiopian in the mountains, you know, he sat there and, you know, he chewed on them for a while and said, hmm, that gives me a little bit of a buzz. Wonder what happened if I would bake it and dry it for a while. And, I mean, that's what the, the History Channel will tell you. That's how we did it. Wrong. Turn to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. God is a good God. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust. And God sends certain inventions, certain witty inventions, certain knowledge of this universe directly to man. Even unregenerate men. Isaiah 28. Start at verse 26. Isaiah 28. Beautiful passage of Scripture to glorify God. Thank you, Father, for revealing things to us. God provideth man with his instructions on basic farming techniques here. Start with verse 23, actually. Give ye ear and hear my voice. Hearken and hear my speech. Doth the plowman plow all day to sow? Yes, he does. Doth he open and break the clods of his ground? You know, does he put a plow in there? Does he know that you've got to break up that soil, you know, loosen it up so that the seed, once you sow it, it's going to have room to germinate, grow, and the roots go down and get... Yeah, he knows that, right? When he hath made plain the face thereof, when he's prepared his field, doth he not cast abroad the fitches and scatter the cumin and cast in the principal wheat and the appointed barley and the rye in their place? Yeah. He takes each crop and he plants it in its, each, each area where he's going to grow it. 
for his God, verse 26, doth instruct him to discretion and doth teach him. He didn't do this on his own. He did it because God revealed it to him. For the fitches are not threshed with a threshing instrument. Neither is a cartwheel turned about upon the cumin. But the fitches are beaten out with a staff and the cumin with a rod. Bread corn is bruised because he will not ever be threshing it nor break it with the wheel of his cart, nor bruise it with his horsemen. Here he's talking about very precise instructions on how different crops are processed to get the maximum nutritional benefit from them. And that instruction came from God. This also, verse 29, cometh forth from the Lord of hosts, which is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. Brethren, The lights we have around us, the electrical system we have, the entire grid system is the invention of one man, Nikola Tesla, not Thomas Edison. He did direct current. Nikola Tesla did alternating current, which is what everything runs on today. Fluorescent light bulbs. He invented those about the same time that Edison was doing his filament light bulb. They run cooler. They're more energy efficient. Back in the 1800s, late 1800s. How did Nikola Tesla come up with the most important part of that design, which is the generator itself? How you generate, how you have a magnet moving through flux, which produces the current that you then pipe off, you know, through your wiring and you send out to all the households in the country. He had a dream. One night, he had a dream, and he saw this oscillating thing. The next day, he's walking out. This is in his autobiography. The next day, he's walking in the, in the uh, uh, out in, I think it was uh, New York Central Park. He found a place, you know, there at, the, uh, there at the pond, and he started drawing it in the sand, telling a friend, this is what I dreamed last night. Right there, brethren, is our modern-day electrical culture from a dream. How about education? Brethren, nobody starts from scratch. Nobody coming out of the womb starts thinking, okay, how did this world come about? Do I trust my senses or do I need to trust intuition? No. They have a mom and a daddy to tell them things. Who did mom and daddy, if you go all the way back, start with? You had God telling them things. How about that? Language. Okay, we just evolved and decided that ooh meant, you know, over there and ooh meant back that way. Right? That's how language came about, isn't it? No. Man came out speaking language. Adam was naming all the animals. Like, I don't know, hour or so after his creation. God gave us language. If you don't believe that, turn to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, what do we have here? We have mankind gathering together in the plains of Shinar to build themselves a nice big city and a nice big tower to magnify glorious man. What did God say after the flood? Because this is like a little while after the flood. He said, disperse, you know, go multiply and you know, replenish the earth. That means disperse yourselves out there. 
Good old man. Good old obedient man. No, let's all gather together lest we be scattered abroad. Read it right there in Genesis chapter 11. We don't want to be scattered abroad. We don't want to follow God's commandment. Well, God comes down and looks at their enterprising United Nations. And he says, hmm, you know what? If I leave them alone like that, hey, they all know how to talk to one another. All the wickedness that they can imagine, they're going to be able to do and multiply it real rapidly. Tell you what, we're going to throw a monkey wrench in there. Have you ever thought about the fact that God is the God of monkey wrenches? There's all sorts of reasons that God will disrupt your plans, brethren. That's another sermon altogether. But here, what's it say? Whole earth was of one language, one speech. God came to the city and the tower, verse 5. He says they're all one, (laughs) just like I said a minute ago. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have to do, imagine to do. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So all of a sudden, as they're building, somebody thinks he hears, uh, drop that now. When the guy was saying, please lift it up high. And all of a sudden, uh, a ton of bricks came down on somebody's foot. I mean, that's the practical implication of it. And after a while, they finally said, hey, I can't deal with you guys. I don't even know what you're saying. And that scattered them. God's purpose was accomplished. But who gave those different languages? Brethren, is it any problem for him to communicate to man? You wouldn't believe all the nonsense that goes on from skeptics and higher criticism uh, of the Bible. You know, about, you know, linguistics and all this. You're telling me God doesn't know how to communicate? He created language. He knows how to communicate, brethren. And if you don't know that that was his purpose, Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 27, tells us, as Paul is preaching on Mars Hill to a bunch of skeptical Greek philosophers, that God had made of one one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations. See, God's determined all their history. He's determined when Alexander was going to come up. And which of the Persian kings he'd defeat. He's determined the bounds of their habitations. What's the border of Scotland versus England? You know, the French versus the Belgians versus the Germans. Yeah, God determined all that. Why? Verse 27, that they should seek the Lord. If happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. See, he knew that if we're all united together, we can, you know, in this great big, you know, rah-rah celebration of mankind and his ability, what would we do? We'd count each other. We wouldn't need the Lord. But if all of a sudden you're worried about your neighbor, what's his intent? He speaks a different language from me. I don't know what goes on in his mind. Dear Lord, would you please help me and keep me safe? Now, see, he might not have a bad thought in his mind towards you, but you don't know that. It forces you to humble yourself and go to God. That's one of the reasons God made division. One of the reasons God made an ununited world. But again, we're talking about language. God created our language. 
God created man's rational capability. In Isaiah 1, as Isaiah is opening up his grand and glorious picture of God in, his, in the prophecies God given him, verse 18, God speaks this way, Come now, let us reason together. Well, God doesn't call us to do something we don't have a capability for. God's the God of reason. Isaiah 41, one of the part of the section that we've enjoyed so much in the past few weeks. Look at verse 21. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things. That's prophecy. What shall be? Let them that we may consider them and know the latter end of them. Or declare unto us things for to come. Excuse me, there's your prophecy. Show the things that are come to Come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil, that we may may be dismayed and behold it together. Here God is arguing with pagans about their false gods, that they're no gods at all. He says, hey, you're really a god? Well, sure, prove it to me. Show me the evidence. That's part of the reasoning process, brethren. Taking information, taking Step by step, bringing forth evidences, putting them together in a proper order to produce a conclusion. That's reasoning. That's from God. Observe and remember that only special revel- that not only special revelation in the Bible, but the linguistic ability and man's reasoning ability to learn from Scripture is from God. Too often we want to focus right over here. Oh, God inspired scripture, but the rest is mine. Right? No. Your ability to read the English language comes from God. The laws of grammar come from God. But now we can get to scripture itself. Second Timothy three, fourteen through seventeen. God is the author of special revelation of his will to men. Continue, thou, Paul telling Timothy, in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing whom thou, of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Let's stop right there for a second, brethren. What a blessing Timothy had. He knew from a childhood because of godly mother and grandmother. Eunice and Lois, he knew the scriptures. That was Old Testament scriptures, but those scriptures he knew. Brethren, what about us? Do you ever stop and thank God for that? I don't know too many of us that didn't have, in some form or fashion, the scriptures. A few of you didn't. And you're thankful for the fact that God's revealed them to you now. Hey, even though I'm not a Presbyterian like I once was, I was introduced to the scriptures. The true word of God by my parents. I'm thankful for that. I didn't deserve it. I should have been born to a Buddhist. Do we look at it that way? But continuing on. And that thou from a, uh, and that from a child thou hast known the scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished into all good works. What's the impact of that verse? 
one minister, one God-called minister with this book and the Spirit guiding him has everything he needs to know. He doesn't need a seminary. He doesn't need a mission board. He doesn't need anything. He's got it all right here. God thoroughly furnishes him to all good works. Right. Oh, but you need to do that. Oh, you know, you're, when people say that, they're saying that there's something good God didn't include in Scripture. Right. Now, I'm not talking about ways by which you can implement the things in Scripture. There's all sorts of ways you can do that. We don't have a quarrel with that. But when people want to start adding brand new things, the church has to have the X ministry. If you don't find X ministry listed in Scripture... It's not a good work. Because all good works are contained in this book. Amen? I mean, that's what it says. That's what God said. Or excuse me, that's what our apostle, the apostle Paul, said to us. To guide us. Observe and remember that not only special revelation in the Bible, but the very linguistic ability and man's reasoning ability to understand Scripture all comes from God. And then God gives personal revelation. And I want to be very careful. I want to be very careful. Please do not misunderstand me. I am not starting to advocate charismatic religion. If you want to know the surest truth of God, you go to the book. Because you know what? I can have a dream. You can have a dream. It could be because I ate cornbread, black-eyed peas, and collard greens last night, and it disagreed with me. I mean, I mean... For some that don't like those, that combination, you say, yeah, it'd give me a strange dream. Dreams don't mean anything. There's a place over in the prophets, I can't put my finger on right now, where it says, you know, let them that dream a dream, let them say their dream, you know, and those that have his word, you know, let them proclaim it. What is the wheat to the chaff? So my opinions, my dreams... You know, they're chaff. You know, opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. They're no more important than that. God's word is the truth. But my point is there are times where God personally will send you understanding in a matter that you need. It'll never contradict his word. Are we straight on that? Good. Let's go on. Job chapter 33. Job chapter 33, where Elihu, our great hero, the great hero of the book of Job, the young man who had God's spirit, the young man who was obedient and who could even have more wisdom than the wisest men on the planet at that time, who were Job and his advisors, his friends. Lengthy passage, I'm not going to read all of it. Because my time is slipping away, but just a few, just a, a token from here. Start at verse 14. For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. See, Tesla didn't understand that God sent him that vision. He just knew all of a sudden, oh, here's this thing. And I put the materials together and it works and produces electricity. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, in slumberings upon the bed, then he, that's God, openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction. That he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. 
He keepeth back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. He's going to go on and list some good things that God does. Meaning, a man's made a, a, a purpose in his heart for something he wants to do, and it's stupid. It's wrong. And God changes it. You know, like Brother Jonathan says, he rewires him. There's times when God will rewire you in the night to hold you back from things that you've determined and keep you back. Comes on down. A beautiful section down here. I don't want to miss it. If you come down to verse... Um, oh, verse, let's just go on. Verse 23. If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man his uprightness, then he is gracious unto him, and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him. And he shall see his face with joy, for he will render unto man his righteousness. He looketh upon men... And if any say, I've sinned and perverted that which is right, and it profited me not, he, God, will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man. And what's the purpose of many of these events in our context, brethren? To bring back his soul from the pit. To be enlightened with the light of the living. Brethren, God oftentimes saves us. And I'm not talking about by shedding Jesus Christ's blood on the cross. But I'm talking about God sending in us in a, in a dream. In the middle of the night. Some afternoon you're napping and all of a sudden it hits you. Oh, I should be doing this. God's pulling you back from a precipice. And especially if you're that verse I wanted to read earlier, you know, if you say, Lord, I've sinned. When you repent, I've sinned. I perverted that which is right. You told me to do something and I didn't do it. Your way is right and holy. I messed it up. I perverted it. I didn't do what you said to do. It didn't profit me, God. It's not right what I did. When you do that, God delivers you. God will deliver you because that very desire to repent. Where did it come from? Did it come from your natural man? Did it come from that that nature from the spirit of the power of the air? No. It came because God was merciful to you. Look at, I mean, a passage we like often, Matthew 16. In Matthew 16. With Jesus Christ, you know, he's been preaching and his disciples say, hey, you know, they, 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 they don't know who you are. You know, some say that you're this or that. Verse 13 of Matthew 16, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, well, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say Elias. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And you know, we like to ride Peter because he's so anxious, so ready to jump into things, you know, and he does things wrong at times, but bless him. When he does it right, he does it right. It's good to be zealous in a 
to be always zealous in a good thing. And Peter was that at this point. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Ah, you've learned the lesson, Peter. You understood what I've been teaching you. Is that what Jesus says? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Brethren, every time you acknowledge, every time you look at a page of Scripture, you see a verse, and you say, oh, yes, that's, that's easy with that saying. Anytime you're saying the truth about a passage of Scripture, it's because God's opened your eyes to see it. Are you thankful for that? Am I thankful for that? How many times do we want to look at that? Oh, yeah, I saw that one so many years ago. And then, oh, later on, that just made this verse fall into place. No. The Lord opened up your eyes to see it. The Lord said, this is a, this, my child's being good. I'm going to throw him a little bit of candy. I'm going to let them understand this passage better than they have in the past. Truth is relational, brethren. This is my next point, but this is what I'm, the bottom line of what I'm trying to, 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 to get across. Truth is relational. Truth is spiritual in nature. Hopefully you read, some of you read 1 Corinthians chapter 2 last night. 1 Corinthians 2 is a marvelous passage. It runs contrary to everything almost that I was taught when I was a preacher boy at Bob Jones University. And most other seminaries and other books I've studied on the matter don't understand it. Because Paul starts off by talking about his method. His method of preaching. Where basically he says, I didn't use eloquence. I didn't use cute tricks to entertain and to keep my, to make my points with my audience. I came in weakness. I came in fear and trembling. But I preached to you Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was Paul's ministry. Paul, who sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the, you go back and read today in Jewish history, Gamaliel is listed as one of their top three Jewish rabbis of all time. So Paul knew the Jewish religion inside and out. He himself said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I knew it. He put all that stuff away. He ignored it all. You go back and read over in Acts, where in front of that paid orator that the Jews paid, to uh, when they brought Paul before the Roman authorities to try to accuse him of things, Paul bested him hands down. Paul was not slack when it came to oratorical skills or knowledge. When he's talking to those Greeks on Mars Hill, he quotes a minor Greek poet to make his point. Paul was not an ignoramus. But when it came to preaching God's word, he didn't want anybody's faith resting on that great man, Paul, and his wonderful oratorical skills. He wanted everything to be based on Jesus Christ and him crucified. And what saith the scriptures? And he goes on to point out, howbeit we speak wisdom, verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 2, among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even a hidden mystery, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. 
And understand, he's talking about a wisdom that before it's revealed is hidden. It's a mystery. It's not once it's been revealed. Okay? Do you understand that principle? And his whole point here is he's talking about how it has been revealed to the Corinthians and by implication to us in the New Testament. And he points out, verse 8, this wisdom which none of the princes of the world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they knew that was the king of creation, his son that they were crucifying, oh no, they wouldn't have touched him. But they didn't know that. Including the Jews. Including the Jewish leaders who should have known it from the scriptures. But, verse 10, God hath revealed them unto us. Those mysteries. That hidden wisdom. God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of the man that's in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. I can't read that, but get excited, brethren. God's given us His Spirit. There's a treasure trove of wisdom and understanding that God's got. He's had it in reserve since eternity. And it's there for us to know. He wants us to know it. He knew the only way we could know it, because it's spiritual, is to reveal it through His Spirit. So He sent His Spirit to us. I'm running short of time. Think about Matthew, John chapter 14. If you've read your Bible, that's got to be a precious part of the Bible to you. Jesus talking about he's got to go away. But he's going to leave them with comfort. He's going to send his Holy Spirit to them. And brethren, as wonderful as having Jesus Christ in our presence would be, having the Holy Spirit is better. Because you know what? Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's got his body, and he'd be if he was here with us, he'd be standing maybe right here. Because he's in a body. It's a limitation he chose. And being God, he can still be anywhere in the universe. But he would be here. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a body. He's not limited to that. And he can and does come and live right here inside me. And inside each of you. That's why I say truth is relational. What happens when you offend a friend? What happens? You've got somebody that's your bosom buddy. Somebody you can tell the deepest, darkest secrets of your life to. You can share the greatest joys with. But what happens, naturally speaking, when you offend that friend? When you do something that turns them off? You break that fellowship, right? All the positive feedback you get from talking with them, from getting their thoughts on a subject, from getting their joy at your joy, and their commiserate sorrow with your sorrow, when that's broken, that's gone. Brethren, that's what happens when we grieve the Spirit. His ability to enliven our joy, His ability to identify with our sorrows, His ability to teach us. How much learning can you get from a friend who's not in the room where you are and who's not talking to you? Not much. 
Same with the Holy Spirit. When by sin we grieve Him, He leaves. He walks off and says, okay, no, you want it that way? That's fine. I've got plenty to do. I'm God. I don't need you, Newell. You don't add to my nature. I'm here to help you, but if you don't want my help, well, that's fine. Go, go it on your own for a while. Let's see how you, how you make out. So all these wonderful pieces of truth, all of a sudden, they're no more coming. And sometimes God will actually start turning off light bulbs. Little pieces you thought you knew, if the Spirit's not there to help you to continue to see that, you may start forgetting. I, exhort, I, I recommend that you read 1 Corinthians 2, John chapter 14 together as a synergistic effort to see what the Holy Spirit is sent for and how that comes to play even in the ministry of a minister in our understanding of the truth. Truth comes by revelation. The Father has to grant it. We saw that in Matthew 16, 17. Jesus Christ said, Peter, you didn't get this from flesh and blood. God the Father showed it to you. Also, if you read in Matthew eleven twenty seven, where Jesus thanks the Father that he'd hid all the things that he was showing to his disciples, he'd hidden those from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes because it seemed good to him. And says that no man knows the Father except the Son. And no man knows the Son except whom he'll reveal it to. So you see, the Father has to reveal it. The Son has to reveal it. And we've already seen that the Spirit has to reveal it to us. God is intimately involved in every step of man seeing and understanding the truth. Brethren, it's given to glorify God. It's hidden from the wise of the world. 1 Corinthians 1, 19 through 21. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath God, hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And you know what, brethren? This is part of the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, which is the introduction to what we were looking at. 1 Corinthians 2. Very powerful passage that we've studied before. Isaiah chapter 44. It was one of the passages I suggested that you read for preparation this morning. I will not read it. My time is gone. But here, notice how God is glorified and blinding some and giving light to others. I have to read it because I want to make that point. Isaiah 44. That's where God has pointed out the pagan. Okay? He takes a tree. An evergreen tree and he cuts it down. He takes one third of it and he burns it to heat his house. He takes another third of it and he burns it to cook his meat. He takes that last third and he makes an idol out of it. Right? He is in darkness. He's in error. 
Verse 18 tells us, They have not known nor understood. For he, meaning Jehovah, hath shut their eyes that they cannot see, and their hearts they cannot understand. And none considereth in his heart, neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned part of it in the fire. Yea, also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof. I have roasted flesh and eaten it. And shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down to the stalk of a tree? See, these are things that he can't understand. He can't understand. He can't even make those questions. So he feedeth on ashes. A deceived heart hath turned him aside, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? And we've gone, we normally go over that passage for that, right? To look at that and to see how awful it is to be in ignorance of God. And how, if we're not careful, God can turn us over to such ignorance. But read the next part. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant. O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. What does he say? Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest, and every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. And then he goes on to give him a precious piece of prophecy that was coming about, about Cyrus, some 150 years later. My point being, brethren, you can look at and see God's judgment. Should it make us afraid? Yes. God can do that. He's got every right to do it. He's got every right, as as, as has been expressed to me, to turn our water off. To turn off our ability to see truth. Because, again, what did we want in the Garden of Eden? A lie. But when he doesn't, when he grants us his truth, when he has shown us how he's redeemed us, what great things he's done for us, We should rejoice over it. And it should guide us and direct us to want to follow him that much more. He gives it to babes in that point where he, uh, back over in Matthew 11, where Jesus praised God that he'd hidden it from the wise and the prudent, and he's given it to whom? Babes. Brethren, let's be babes. Let's be simple concerning sin and wise concerning God. Brethren, it's given to the base. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29, starting at verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And he's chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Here's why. Verse 29. 
that no flesh should glory in his presence. Brethren, he's the God of heaven. He deserves all the glory. And you know a little secret that he shares with us in this book? The more you do that, the more you're looking for his glory, and the more you want to lift him up and glorify him, be thankful for what he's done, the more he shows you. The more he lifts you up. Oh, brethren, truth is greatly, should be greatly desired by godly men. You know, Jesus told his disciples after he was thankful that they had seen these things, being babes, he said, you know, blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them. Brethren, go back to Jacob. Jacob was a great man in the Bible, isn't he? Israel, the whole name of God's people was named after him. His children. He desired to see some of the things we see. David, the man after God's own heart. Didn't know Jesus Christ like we know him. He does now. But in his walk in this world, he didn't know the Lord like we know him. The Apostle Paul. Part of the ministry of the Apostle Paul went well beyond teaching and defending the truth. He was praying. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 15 through 17. Wherefore I also... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, the brethren at Ephesus, and love unto all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What did he want for those blessed disciples in Ephesus? That the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation In the knowledge of Him. Paul wanted us to have that knowledge and understanding. And what what are some of the benefits of that knowledge? Just keep reading here. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That ye may know what is the hope of His calling. Brethren, the Lord wants us filled with hope in this world. And he reveals his truth to us so we can have hope. And what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? The riches of the glory of a God who could take his enemies and make him his children. What a glorious being that is. He could rewire us. We wanted sin. We wanted hell. And in His grace, He rewires us to want to serve Him. We were hateful and hating one another. But in the church of Jesus Christ, we love those who are God's children. We want to serve them. Proud man wants to put himself down and serve others. That's part of this. Isn't that glorious? What a mighty God it is that can do this. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who according to the working of his mighty uh, who according to the working of his mighty power was he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, 
It goes on talking about that. Brethren, the fact is we've, we've seen recently the same power that it took to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is what it took to make us his child and to help us live right now. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And to me, I keep going back to the fact, what is so amazing is not that he could do that, but why would he want to do it to us? It magnifies his grace. It magnifies his goodness. It magnifies his mercy and his kindness. I'll close with this. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, starting at verse 17. Daniel and his compatriots faced a problem. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He couldn't remember the dream. He came to the astrologers and soothsayers of his kingdom saying, I've dreamed a dream. I need you to interpret it. They said, come on, king, tell us what it is. We can do that. No, I forgot it. If you were really the great, mighty, wise men with the gods that you claim to be, you can find out what my dream is and interpret it. Oh, but king, nobody's ever asked this. Oh, are you telling me that you're not so good? Well, I guess I'll just have to get rid of you all and start from scratch. So he gave the order for all the wise men, the astrologers of Babylon to be killed. Daniel heard about it and he went back and sent back to the king saying, King, just give us a a few minutes and we'll give you an answer. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the Lord of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise. And knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness. And the light dwelleth with him. And I thank thee and praise thee. O thou God of my fathers. Who hath given me wisdom and might. And hath made known unto me now what we desire to thee. For thou hast made known unto us the king's matter. Brethren. Take this away today as an example of what we should be like. Remember, Daniel was well beloved of God. He had a long life through three major kingdoms. Babylon, the Medes, and the Persians. He was the number one advisor to the king in all of those areas. He lived a long life. He had many deliverances in his life. This was his attitude. This was how he looked at it. Lord, you're the one from whom all might and power come. You're the one who gives wisdom and understanding. And I thank you for it. Brethren, may we be just like this in our lives. Is my prayer this day.